Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church this morning. A particular warm welcome if you are visiting with us, if this is your first time. My name is Andy Draycott. Uh, I am just a, a regular member of the church, uh, and occasionally uh, I'm invited to preach uh, about once a year, and this happens to be this Sunday. Um, we are going to be uh, taking a look at uh, one particular Bible passage, and if uh, you want to follow along uh, reading the Bible, and you haven't got a Bible, and you don't have a Bible app on your phone, then I'm sure if you stuck your hand in the air, uh, an usher, and someone, someone would be able to bring you a Bible. We're going to be in uh, the book of the Bible, towards the end of the Bible, called 1 Corinthians, and uh, if you need help finding that, then I'm sure someone around you could do that too. We're going to turn to that passage in a little bit uh, before I uh, introduce what we're about uh, in speaking God's word this morning. We're going to watch a short video clip. Well, there's just one other uh, regular member of our church family. Uh, you may be different from uh, Caleb, you may be different from me, um, but the habit of grace that we're thinking about this morning um, is relevant to each one of us in our different way and different way of being. We are, uh, as a church, and particularly if you're uh, new to us this morning, we are in the middle of a series of talks that think about what we're calling habits of grace. These are uh, the practices, the things we do, 
the habits that we form, that God appoints for us and empowers for Christians to grow, to grow through our journey of discipleship, of following Jesus in the company of other fellow Christians in the local church. So that's what this series, Habits of Grace, is all about. And this week we're focusing on proclamation. And as I've already mentioned, I'm going to be taking as our kind of basic text from the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in a moment, I'll, I'll read a few verses from there. That's a letter written by one of the first Christians, someone whose life was transformed by news he heard so that he wanted to then communicate that to others. His name was Paul. The talk, uh, in case uh, you want to know structure ahead of time, the talk has four parts. Firstly, part one, we're going to be led by our text in the Bible to think about what exactly Christians claim good news is. What would Paul proclaim? What would he hope the church in Corinth would proclaim? What is it that we would proclaim, that I would proclaim? So what the good news is. Secondly, we'll consider why Paul thinks it's important to remind a church of what the good news is and why we, not in the first century but in the 21st century, might also need to be reminded of what that good news is. Thirdly, we'll consider how we could enter into that habit of proclamation. How could we get into Ways of doing, ways of speaking that actually proclaim this good news. And lastly, in closing, we will fourthly explore how this habit is intended for our growth. For my growth individually, for your growth individually, but also importantly, for our growth corporately as a community of believers. It's my hope that even if there is someone here today who is looking into Christianity, curious from the outside, not yet perhaps committed, that this might be an opportunity to hear this good news and to make that affirmation. So let me pray before we turn to Scripture. Oh God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the meditations of my heart, and the words that I trust you've given me in preparation, and use them as good news to me and to those who hear. Father, I ask that also by your Spirit, you would be at work in minds and particularly hearts, that we would receive good news afresh, again, or maybe even for the first time, as transformative as changing, changing us into people who will then form habits of, in turn, our own proclamation. Give us that generosity born from your love, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you care to, you could turn up at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. We will uh, touch down on a few other verses in this chapter, and I'll make reference to a few other uh, parts of this letter that Paul writes, so we get a bit of a context, but this is where we're going to land. So 1 Corinthians 15, 
verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And Paul goes on to say of other appearances of the risen Lord Jesus and to set out what resurrection hope is. But we'll stop there for now. Literally, Paul is reminding us and his first hearers and readers in verse 1 of the chapter of, it says gospel in a lot of our translations, gospel means good news. In fact, he says it's the good news, kind of victorious good news, the good news of victory that I good news to you. Um, we don't have a good news as a verb. Um, or the gospel that I gospel to you. It's the evangel, that's the, the kind of Greek base, that I evangelize to you. Proclamation is about, when we're talking about Christian proclamation, is about this good news. Well, let's pause before we think about what exactly that is. And let me ask you what you may have been sharing as good news in recent days and weeks. Because we do this all the time. When good things happen to us or those about us, we want to share that news with others. Some of you may do this in the old-fashioned way of talking to people, um, perhaps a neighbor on the driveway, um, perhaps a colleague at work. Uh, some of you are sharing this on Facebook or tweeting about it, I suppose. But we do this when we hear good news, glad news of the birth of someone in our family, to our friends, someone getting a job, a wedding anniversary perhaps, small pleasures, just taking a photo of that meal you enjoyed, um, or guilty pleasures, like the 80s music that I rock out to on level 32 in the car and I have to turn it back down before I get home. <laughs> or your prowess at Pokemon Go. <laughs> this game is in the news. I don't know what it is. I don't play it. But some of you do. And some of you may have been telling others about the joys of playing Pokemon Go. Um, it, it's exciting, apparently. Um, my daughter woke up this morning, and she, the youngest one is an early riser, and uh, she came down and said, Daddy, I made my bed, and I did it really quietly so I wouldn't wake Sissy, because our cousins are coming. We're getting, uh, my sister's coming in tonight from the UK, and Agatha is so excited that she would take the effort of making her own bed. I don't think she's voluntarily done this before in her life, <laughs> and well, it's not without instruction. And she, she did this so that her room could be ready for her cousins to stay in. I'm sure in Sunday school right now, she's telling anyone who cares to listen that her cousins are coming. They, don't, they may not know her. They don't know her cousins, but it's good news. Sharing good news is instinctive. Even though we might do it with different personality types or different cultural modes of expression, we all do this. And we also know, don't we, that good news is if you'll allow me to say this, badly needed. We need good news. We know this because the headlines that we see are anything but good news. 
the onslaught and the waves of death in places like Kabul, Munich, Nice, Dallas, Baton Rouge. And we don't need to think of extraordinary and vicious slaughter to think of the way death, separation, destruction of relationships, anxiety affects us even closer to home. And we know the good news, if it's to be meaningful, is more than that photo of a sweet kitten that you could share on Facebook. Or even just having a secure home or even a secure nation against the evil of the world. We need justice. We need it on a global universal scale. We need order, beauty, truth, goodness, peace, established permanently. And we're not quite sure how to do it. We're probably sure Pokemon Go is not going to be the answer. So Paul wants us to direct us to what is good news. All those other things may be good news in their way, but what is the good news of first importance? That's how he underlines it in verse 3 of our passage. Paul knows the good news. It's gospel. And it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the music taste that I have. It's not about the events that are going on in my life. It is about this one person who is Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the good news. And that is of first importance for anyone who would want to know how the problems of our world and of our own lives are going to be met. It's about Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was really dead. He really died for our sins. And on the third day, he was raised again to new life. He appeared to many. And Paul will go on through this chapter, if you want to kind of read it more at home, delight in his descriptions of how important that resurrection hope is. Jesus is the headline. Christ is the headline. If you want to know what the good news is, Jesus Christ. And then the lead-in that gives us the, the, the contours of what this story is that is good news, it's his cross. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried, and yet he rose again. Death did not succeed. Life is what issues in this good news. Now, of course, Paul recognizes, as maybe anyone asking about the good news that you share, that that there's more. You could tell more detail. That's why he tells us in verses 3 and repeated again in verse 4 that what he says is in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the Scriptures. That is, he trusts to us that we would grasped by this headline. Wow, there's good news. I want to know good news. I need good news. What is this good news? I want to explore it. He's reminding the Corinthians of what he may have told them from Scripture, but he invites us to delve into Scripture too. Now, uh, we don't have time to walk through the whole of Scripture, but we will think a little bit about what the backstory is. Let me just give you another piece of good news that I heard recently that was shared with me on Facebook. Uh, I used to live in Portugal and have many Portuguese friends, and uh, Portugal won the European soccer tournament. Now, Portuguese go crazy for soccer. Not every single person who's Portuguese, but most of them. 
Uh, and you can imagine the, the delight and the sharing and the joy that was expressed um, by all my Portuguese friends. Right? No one kind of refrained uh, from commenting on this event. Even more so, they won this tournament without, for most of the game, the play of their best player, Cristiano Ronaldo. And in fact, they won this game, having 12 years ago, in their own country, lost in the final. And furthermore, they won this game and this championship, having never won any international championship of soccer at all in their country's history. And furthermore, they won this tournament, having always played in the shadow of the country that speaks the same language, Brazil, who are in the doldrums, soccer-wise. And furthermore, they won, and this is good news to them, because they're a country that, because of their history, is down on themselves, generally. There are more Portuguese who succeed and live outside of Portugal than live in Portugal. And lots of people think Portugal's part of Spain. <laughs> But the Portuguese are celebrating right now. They are champions of Europe. And knowing the backstory of Portugal helps you understand why their celebrations of that good news were as exuberant as they were. So when Paul tells us, in accordance with the scriptures, he's telling us that we can know more of the backstory. If the Bible is new to you today, and you know it exists, but you don't know much more, then I'm going to give you just a little guide as to what. It includes that that in accordance with the scriptures is about. This is what the good news is. It's from a, a, a little description of the good news that Christians share called Two Ways to Live. Two Ways to Live. Uh, there's a leaflet you could grab outside if you wanted to on the welcome desk. Um, or you could download, even during the service I guess, you could download an app, Two Ways to Live. And it will walk you through this little illustration of what our good news is. There are six images, so if you're kind of drawing them on your bulletin, um, just know how to space them out. God, out of generosity and love, made the world. He made it good, ordered, peaceful, beautiful, and he put humans under his rule to rule in his stead. And that's good news. And it's not what we look at as we look at the headlines, as we look at our own lives. Because what we do as humans is we exchange God's rule, we cross out his crown, and we appoint for ourselves our own crown. We rebel against God's ordering of our lives for flourishing and say, no, we know what's best for us. We're going to pursue our own what in God's eyes is a distorted way of living. Our own satisfaction, our own pleasure. Even perhaps against other people. We make ourselves rulers of our own lives. But as we effectively misrule God's world, then because God is still in generosity and love the ruler of his good world, we must face the consequences of our rebellion. And the consequence of our rebellion against all that is good, all that is life, is death. That doesn't sound like good news so far, right? It was great, it's not anymore, and we're going to die. This is why the good news of Jesus Christ is so important. We don't get, as those who are subject to death, 
as those who mess up continually, we don't get to right this wrong ourselves. God generously, in his love, in his desire to rule his world, sends this one with the letter J there, this man who is Jesus. And he not only lives a faithful human life, fully obedient to God and fully loving as God would have, but he dies on a cross for our sin. His faithfulness in living humanly takes then all the punishment that our unfaithfulness would deserve. This is God's love we celebrate as Christians. So Jesus now in his resurrection is risen to new life, eternal life, life that lasts for all ages so that the kingdom of God is established. And he will come again to judge, to implement that kingdom so that beauty, goodness, truth, peace are restored. The very things for which we yearn as we look at our world, as we look at even the disorder of our lives, he will do this. God has promised by his resurrection to make that so. And so, last slide, ultimately, we are faced with a choice of which way to live we're going to undertake. Of these two ways, there are only these two ways, we can continue to live, ruling our own lives, making our own decisions about what flourishing is, sometimes even veering close to the full truth, and yet, apart from God and his rule. Therefore, setting ourselves up to receive his judgment and death, or simply receive the life that Christ offers of his rule that brings us into a community under his rule that is the kingdom of God. That's the choice that is before each one of us. That is good news, where goodness, peace, justice, righteousness is restored under Jesus in a new creation. You see, the fact is, uh, Portugal being reigning European soccer champions uh, are likely to hold on to that for four years, maybe longer, although no one thought they were going to win this time, so we'll we'll see. They're not going to hold on to that glory forever. Uh, Interesting note, um, you can tell from my accent I'm not from here. The USA is actually the reigning Olympic rugby champions. They have reigned as Olympic champions for 92 years. Um, The the USA won the Olympic rugby in 1920 and 1924, and it's never been played at the Olympics since. (laughs) Until this year. Um, So we'll see if they can regain that, that, hold on to that crown. But whether your sporting victory lasts 92 years or four years, an end comes. But... The good news of Jesus in his victory over death in resurrection life for a new age that's everlasting is a victory of a kingdom that defeats even death and brings in all the goodness of what God holds out for a flourishing humanity. Now, in an important sense, I'm trying to communicate and proclaim the very thing that is the subject of the habit that we're talking about. The best way to encourage proclamation of good news is to proclaim good news. To hear it, to receive it, to speak it again, 
That's what Paul himself is doing as the Holy Spirit guides his writing as he writes to the church in Corinth. I hope you're encouraged as you hear this good news or struck by the need to pay attention to it if it's not the good news that you hold to. But why, having thought about the what of the gospel, secondly, why does Paul have to remind a Christian church about this? Surely this is ABCs, the basic stuff that we could all move on from. Why do we need this headline good news today? Why would we think about it? Isn't it old news? Well, no, this good news, because it is of eternal worth, is always good news. Is always the ultimate and up-to-date good news that we need to be proclaiming. It is of first importance. You see, in verses 1 and 2, Paul gives his answer to the Corinthians, who might wonder, surely we're a bit beyond this. No, you received this. This good news is that in which you stand and by which you are being saved. You are experiencing salvation. There is nothing else to locate your life around apart from this good news, which is of first importance. Now, elsewhere in this letter, if some of you may have read it before or if you uh, were to follow it, you'd find that uh, the Corinthian church is, is, perhaps like any church, a bit of a mess below the surface. Now, part of their problem seems to be that they over-inflate their own spirituality and their own gifts that they understand themselves to have, and maybe thinking they're already fully glorified, and Paul's telling them, no, no, resurrection hasn't fully come yet. They were certainly lax on certain moral failings in their community, in their relationships, and in the way they practice the church. And now some of that may be true of us today in this church community. We might need to hear the good news so that our sin or our abiding by sin is struck at. So that we could turn, no, we're not going to pursue that way of rebelling against God. We're going to be corrected again by this good news to live in faithfulness to God. But perhaps hyper-spirituality isn't an obstacle to the gospel here at Grace. Might I suggest that sometimes an obstacle to us being good newsing people, proclaiming people, is that for all sorts of reasons, we are a church that uh, at least gives the appearance of wanting to be educated. We want to know God's word and know it well. We pursue and oftentimes communicate a, a joy in the intellectual truth of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with that. I speak to you as a, a professor of theology at a Christian university. But if we think that the gospel is only good news so much as we can fill our notebooks and say that we have heard a sermon on every single book of the Bible and that we could even read commentaries on it or wax eloquent about which particular letter was written by what particular author, then we've mistaken the simplicity and the first importance of the good news for our own intellectual grasp of God's truth. That could be very sapping of our zeal to communicate the gospel. Because after all, you might think, I don't know enough, as I suppose some other person knows. I can't communicate that good news. Yes, you can. You don't need to have read any Puritans, and you don't need a PhD to communicate and share and love the good news of Jesus Christ. After all, Paul says in chapter 4 of this letter, chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
We can sometimes, and this can happen in a Christian community, we can talk about the gospel almost as a throwaway, generically. We can assume it in our speech without actually saying, Christ has died for my sin. Christ has died for your sin. He has risen to give you new life. We think we move on to deeper things. A ready pool of Bible-minded Christians in our our locale might make us think, well, we can keep ticking along as a church, but no, we need to be proclaiming the gospel to each other and to those who don't know this good news. Not so that they get more educated, but so their lives are transformed and so that our lives are continually transformed. One of the biggest obstacles, I think, also for our time is that Many of us, at least practically speaking, don't believe that God will judge in holiness in the way the Bible tells us he will. We are willing to receive life, but unwilling to deal with the death that comes to those who don't receive life from Jesus Christ. Unwilling to reckon with the actual justice that we want that means condemnation and hell is a reality for those who don't seek to live simply accepting the life that Christ offers. So why do we need reminding of this good news? Well, so that our proclamation has a clear focus on Jesus Christ. So that the events of my, your, our world's hope are pointed to as the rule of God in Jesus. Why the Corinthians needed to know this? Well, they were delighting perhaps in speaking in tongues and mystical experiences, and Paul has spent a whole chapter before he outlines this good news, telling them, no, you're to pursue as of first importance also intelligible speak, speech, speech that people can understand, so that you're built up together in sharing good news that will lead people to see, ah, I need to turn from where I'm living to live in accordance with this good news of Jesus Christ. So, if that's the why we might need to hear it in our particular congregation, and why the Corinthians need to hear it, thirdly, how can we participate in this habit of proclamation? Not everyone is Caleb Grossman. Not everyone is young, uh, single, and free to hang around in coffee shops. I think one of the things we need to do is rehearse the gospel story to ourselves. Rehearse this good news. Make it so that it is good news. So that rather than 80s soundtracks kind of uh, from movies uh, that might, from the car, bouncing around my head, that Jesus is good news. He's bouncing through my head. And all sorts of habits will lead for this to be the case. It needs to be my internal narrative. When I uh, I occasionally run, I like to... uh, and probably not as much as a runner as I used to be, and my knees do kind of ache from every now and then. One of the things I've got myself into the habit of saying when I'm maybe uh, struggling in from a run and my neighbors see me or, uh, or, or kind of complaining because I'm walking a bit stiffly because uh, I've run a bit too much is, well, my, my knees are, my body's kind of giving out on the knee front. But I'm really confident that I get a resurrection body for all eternity. If I habitually think about my knees aching when I'm running in terms of the resurrection body that I receive because of Jesus' mercy and grace, then I'm framed to think even about my aches and pains in a way that I can communicate even to my neighbors in the context of my hope. The gospel isn't about my knees, it's about Jesus. 
My knees get me to think about Jesus if I allow the Spirit to work in me. We do this, get into the habit of proclamation by being in a community that proclaims. If you're a Christian and you're part of our community, you need to demand that you hear preaching, Sunday school classes, worship, that consistently proclaims good news to you. And you need to interrogate that in your grace groups, in your conversation with fellow members of the church. You need to interrogate how you are receiving and hearing that good news. Don't take it for granted. Hold us to account that we would continue to proclaim good news. There really is good news that our hearts are warmed by and not just going through the motions of learning about some other book of the Bible as we work through a series. This is why Paul is commending good news to the Corinthians. You need to put yourself thoroughly in the way of opportunities. Some of you have opportunities for gossiping the gospel in your families, among people who don't follow Jesus Christ, and in your workplace all the time. We need to be doing this among ourselves as Christians. So in my marriage, as I was preparing for this sermon last night, I'm a late last-minute preparer, um, I, I was talking through how I might speak to my wife. That has strengthened my marriage. The good news is the bond between us. The good news of Jesus. My marriage is strengthened because we talk good news together. We didn't just assume it, just get on with it privately, but share that together. That's also going to be good news when I mess up. And then I need to ask forgiveness in my marriage. And I can do that and we can be explicit about that because God has forgiven me. That I can be humble to seek forgiveness. I can speak the gospel in those situations. Now, I work in a context where everyone around me is Christian. And I live in a context where most of my neighbors are Christian. There are Christians everywhere. What, what do I do? I need to put myself in the way of proclamation. We uh, recently have had our vacation Bible school. Uh, we call it Adventure Week. And I decided I was going to volunteer for the gospel station. Right? So right, be, there, be there where you can proclaim the gospel. The gospel is, uh, good news is proclaimed in all sorts of ways in, in, in our Adventure Week. But that's, that's where I decided I had to be. Uh, and I almost immediately regretted once I clicked it, clicked it online. Um, because, and I knew this, but I kind of was trying to be brave. Um, children terrify me en masse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I deal with kind of adults, right? Um, children, I've got two children by own, they don't terrify me, but, um, you know, en masse, they're unpredictable. I don't know the way that, what they're going to do. <laughs> was I right to be terrified? Yes! Right? Those kids that came through the gospel room, they were squirrely, they didn't pay attention, they talked about completely random things, and I'm trying to speak to them about the good news that we've been sharing. Did I do that perfectly and wonderfully? I, I daft it. And yet, could God use my willingness to be there and speak? Yes. Right? It wasn't because I'm a professor of theology that I could assume I'm good at this. It's just because I put myself in the way of trying to proclaim the gospel. And I need that formal opportunity because I don't come across them all the time in my regular uh, walk of life. How are we finding opportunities? Throwing yourself almost under the bus of, uh, of gospel proclamation. And then allowing the Spirit to use that in God's faithfulness. So I also, uh, again with, with my wife, try and uh, regularly run a, a class here at church. Christianity Explored, where people can come or bring friends who want to explore more about how the Bible speaks about Jesus. I need that 
for myself. I want that for them. I need to find those ways. What could this look like for you? Is it helping with a good news club in a local school? Is it just being Christian in your family and working out how to speak Christianly because you're training yourself to speak Christianly all the time? Those are the habits that we can get into, that we need to put ourselves into. Not because we have plausible words, as Paul says earlier in his letter, but because in our weakness, in my fear and trembling of little kids, in our fear and trembling, we know that the gospel, the good news, comes with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So I don't know what putting yourself in the way of the habit of proclamation will look like exactly. But the good news of the good news will warm your heart and help you to desire to seek that. Let me just tell you then in closing, in the fourth part, um, how we will grow as we proclaim. I think there are so many possibilities, but I've got four. We'll grow in unity. We'll grow together as a church community as we hear of and understand that others are seeking to proclaim the word of Jesus Christ. Corinth was actually a very divided church. They uh, divided over the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, communion, the meal of bread and wine that they were to share was to proclaim the Lord's death until he came, but they did it in a way that divided out the poor from the rich. We grow as we do proclamation. We grow together so that we're a community that recognizes there's no hierarchy among us. There's no better Christians, more educated Christians. It's just Christians who are saved because we were sinners, because we're all messed up. Saved by Jesus Christ. They were claiming baptism, another way of declaring and proclaiming the gospel in our bodies. They were proclaiming that, well, I was baptized by Paul. Oh, I was baptized by Peter. But no, baptism is about being united to Jesus Christ. Come to baptism services. Delight in the transformation that is going on in the lives of our community and seek that others who you may know would themselves come to faith and be baptized also. So unity will grow among us as a church. Also personal holiness. And Paul talks in chapter 9 as he's talked about becoming all things to all men to proclaim the gospel that he disciplines his body to keep it under control. I think of this in terms of the way in which it, when there's a zeal for proclaiming the gospel in my life, that good news that reminds me that I'm a sinner, that I rebel against God, also allows the Spirit to shine a light on my failings so that I can turn away from them. Because the gospel is about turning away from our failings. God enables us as we love to proclaim to love to distance ourselves from our sin. And that can lead to... Um, Frankly, the reality that we need to admit, the humiliation, thirdly, of sharing the gospel. It's humiliating to speak of something that people deride or mock or think of a waste of time, that you're sat here rather than having a rest in bed still. We need to be open to that. As Paul himself says, he was a fool for Christ. We need to be open to being foolish and then recognize that there were a whole bunch of fools together. It's deeply humbling to know that you and you and you are a fool for Christ with me. I'm not in this alone. God has saved you. Why? You? Well, he saved me. Why? Because of his love. That's humiliating and humbling but also encouraging. 
And then, lastly, uh, as to how we'll grow, well, we'll grow because people will be added to our number. As the, the truth of God is experienced in power, and people seek to turn to the way of life that is following Jesus. So let me underline as I conclude that the good news is something that we proclaim to all. It's not just good news proclaimed to people who may identify as not Christian, but that we identify and proclaim to each other and even to myself in all gentleness with respect. God commands us and promises power of his spirit as we proclaim. And it's worth seeing the power that is on offer as uh, I turn you to the end of chapter 15. So the end of chapter 15, uh, in the middle of verse 54, we read these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus Christ has taken on his cross our death upon himself. He's raised for the peaceful and just government of his kingdom that lasts forever in resurrection life. Today, you can, for the umpteenth time, or for the first time, acknowledge your rebellion against God and turn to accept his offer of life and the fullness of the kingdom life that he offers, that he will bring about. And then you can tell someone of that good news. Pokemon Go will not solve the problems of our world. It may be fun, but what is of first importance is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us joy in salvation and that that joy would spill over to our good newsing to those around us that we would share this good news and that we would find by trial and error ways in which we can communicate that truth, trusting not in our own words, but in your spirit and your power. Make us more and more a community that witnesses to each other and witnesses to those around us so that we can rejoice in this corporate act. I pray that we would be encouraged and spurred on to love you, not out of a spirit of division or competition, but in solidarity that you have called us by your mercy and grace into your kingdom. And if any one of us has heard this news and received it today as good news for them personally, I pray that too you would fill them with your spirit and encourage them to start sharing that straight away. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.